0: Welcome to the show called Let's Talk Homeschool. I'm Davis, and today our guest is Rachel. We've got a special show and presentation by my lovely wife. This is the show where we talk about everything homeschooling, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. We want to affirm, encourage, challenge, and inspire you to take everything to new heights and celebrate everything you get to experience along the way. This podcast is sponsored by Apologia Educational Ministries. Go to Apologia.com, a great place to explore creation. Today's show is titled, Loving, Learning, and Laughing. This is a presentation that Rachel did several years ago, and you're going to get to listen to it in its entirety. Sit back,
1: relax, and enjoy. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love has to be the foundation of what we're doing. It has to be the foundation of what we're doing. So what are we supposed to love? Let's look at it. Number one, we've got to love God. And how do we do that? We do that through worship. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Do you love Him? Are you worshiping Him every day? We are admonished in Scripture to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, our mind, and all our strength. Let's dissect that for just a minute. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart? Your heart is the seed of worship. Remember in, in Matthews we're told, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is in your heart is what you worship. What is your affection set on? What do you desire? Oh, I pray that more than anything else you desire the will of God in your life. I pray that that is your worship. That that is your affection. What is your soul? It's your emotion. Your emotion. And what your treasure in your emotions will follow. Do you see that your affections, your emotions follow that? Your mind. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. What are you meditating on? What are you thinking about? Where are you putting your intellectual energy? That's what it means to love the Lord with all of your mind. And I'm here to tell you, We're going to get to this in just a little bit. We need to admonish and raise our children to love the Lord their God with all of their mind. All this intellectual stuff that we're teaching them is for the glory of God. It's not for some transcript. Let us not lower the bar. It's not to please somebody or to fill in some circle. It's to glorify God. And then what does it mean to love the Lord God with all of your strength? It means all of your energy. So whatever's in your heart, whatever you're worshiping, your affections, your pursuits, your desires, then the strength means you live that out. You live what you believe. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And I suggest you begin with worship. This is my beloved travel hymnal. And it's all dog-eared, and it's all marked. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Sweet hour of prayer. All the way my Savior leads me. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Anywhere he leads me in this world below. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Are we worshiping him? I want to invite you to worship. I want to invite you to love him. And not just in word, and not please, please, not just on Sunday morning, but all week long to worship him, to live a life of worship. Live a life of praise. There's a great study guide, family worship, um, that I would offer to you. And it's um, Then Sings My Soul. If you're looking for a family devotional guide on a daily basis, Then Sings My Soul takes a classic hymn on one side of the page and on the other side tells the background story. The story of just as I am, all five stanzas. Anybody but me raised on that? All five stanzas of Just As I Am. I still have them memorized. I'm a preacher's kid, so I sat right there, heard all the hymns all my life. And to read the background story on the story of Just As I Am, I offer that to you. It's something you can do every morning to set the tone of your day. Uh, It's called uh, Then Sings My Soul. We're going to love our God. Next, we're going to love our husbands or uh, respect our husbands. Husbands love our wives. We need to have a loving relationship in the home. See, our worship is empty, wives, if we disrespect our husbands. It's empty. See, this is where the play out begins of loving God is how we treat each other in our marriage. Excellent book on this topic is Love and Respect by Dr. Eckrich. I'm not saying that right. Something like that. It's an excellent book. Um, it talks about men hear love through respectful behavior. That means we don't roll our eyes. We're not sarcastic. We don't devalue their opinions. And women hear love through love. So we need to make sure, wives, that we are respecting our husband, coming under his authority in a way that would honor not only him, but also God. Next. We need to love our children enough to discipline them. Love disciplines. Love does not stand back and say, oh, it's just a phase. <laughs> no. Love disciplines. It's very important that we continue to discipline our children, that we have rules that we mean. I was behind a woman one day. This is the most sad one of the most sad things I've ever witnessed in Walmart, and that says a lot. Um, Because there's some really sad things that happen in Walmart. So uh, I was with one of my daughters, and we were behind this young couple, and they were doing the Saturday morning run for the birthday party present that they were going to immediately. And little Johnny, I don't think could be any older than maybe four, maybe four, and was holding this massive over-the-top gift, it was some Lego that was probably age, you know, 12 to 46 instead of four, that he was going to take to this party. And Johnny decided that he wanted a thing of M&M's. You know where this is going. We're standing here watching this. So it starts off like this, no, Johnny, we're going to a party. Johnny insists, no, Johnny, we're going to a party. Johnny went, I want it. No, Johnny, we're going to go, there'll be cake at the party, Johnny. We're not going to have that now. Then he reaches over and grabs what he wanted. And their mother's like, okay, Johnny, you can hold it. But we're not going to buy it, Johnny, because there'll be treats at the party. He's shaking it. I want it. I want it. No, Johnny, she's checking out now. Johnny, it's time to put it down. I want it. He's standing there defiant at four. I want it she said, no, Johnny, we can't buy it. And he takes his other hand and rips the top off of it, and M&M's went flying everywhere. The saddest moment was to see a mom and a dad on their hands and knees picking up M&M's off the floor while Johnny swallowed all the rest of them. See, that's what no discipline gets you. It was a hideous display of parents who refuse to do the hard work of discipline. Now, some of our kids are easy to discipline, right? I've got a few that I can look across the room. I can even actually wink at these children, and they're like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong, right? You've got at least, hopefully, I pray, that you've got at least one of those. You've got others, right, that push you to the mat every time. But I'm here to tell you, Scripture doesn't say only discipline the ones that are easy to discipline. We're supposed to discipline all of them. And we're supposed to trust that God will honor that because he does, because it's loving to discipline our children. They need that. It communicates that we love them enough to say no and to mean it. So discipline your children. Next. I challenge you to teach your children to love each other by blessing each other. I don't have time to chase this whole thing. I have an entire session entitled how to teach your children to bless and not curse each other. Because the cultural norm is that kids curse each other, talk rudely to each other. Instead of calling that my brother, it's my bother, right? They say things like I hate you to each other, and it's all written off like it doesn't really matter. It's just a phase. They'll grow out of it. Someday we'll laugh about it. You know what? It's not okay. It's not okay. And we must be diligent in teaching our children to guard what they say to each other and that they bless one another in what they say. Scripture says they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. People are watching you. You're weird. If you're homeschooling, you're weird. And people are watching you. Some of them you know. Some of them you don't know. And they're watching every move you make. Some of them are Christian and some of them aren't. And it's sobering sometimes to realize that people are watching you. But they are. I was in Walmart another time. Apparently I'm there. And I was with all of my kids. And my kids on this day, right? Because we don't have this all. I'm with you. I'm I'm a fellow sojourner. We have not figured this all out. My kids still fight. It's still... A work in progress, right? As long as we're breathing here, we're all still going through this glorious process of sanctification. So please don't think for a moment that this is pristine and perfect here. But we're in Walmart, and on this particular day, we're having a great day in Walmart. And the kids were all cracking up and joking. And this guy comes up to me because you know when you have seven children in Walmart with two carts, one Papoose. One here, a teenage son pushing the other one. Everybody feels that they have the right to come and give you some word or thought or something. And this guy comes up and way invaded my space. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, are they all yours? Yes. He said, well, they can't be. You're all having entirely too much fun together. What does it say about our culture when in a family we can laugh and enjoy each other and people think that we can't possibly be related. It says that our culture has embraced the idea that within family there's always strife and there's always conflict and there's hatred and hopefully someday we'll all grow out of it. I'm here to tell you we have an opportunity to blow that out of the water and to treat each other lovely, loving, and to insist that our children treat each other in a loving way and speak words of blessing and love and encouragement and sacrifice and smile. That's your bless acrostic. Words that benefit each other, words that love each other, words that encourage each other, sacrificial words of service, and that they actually smile at each other. You'll notice that there's no sarcasm in there. Next in loving... We need to honor our family, our extended family. Now, when we started our journey 20 years ago, my mom and dad and my husband's parents were adamantly against our homeschooling. Adamantly against our homeschooling. Like, what are you thinking? You must be crazy. How can you possibly do what it takes an entire school building of professionals to do that against? Like, they would come and visit us for the holidays. And, you know, my brother and his wife's kids never got drilled like my kids got drilled. Amen? When my four-year-old walks in and he's asked who the first president of the United States is, her kid's not asked who the first president of the United States is, but my kid is, right? And it was really hard was really hard but even during that period of them being against i was still called to honor them so some of the things we did to honor them even in this difficult period of times is we would send them verses of scripture handwritten by the children just verses of scripture Uh, my primary writing curriculum k through four and five fifth grade is letter writing journal writing i used to teach high school english the best grammar is taught spelling is taught contextually uh, there it is. So my kids were required to write notes of encouragement Wednesday, Wednesday, Friday. And then they did handwriting exercises with Scripture. And so we would send those to my mom and dad. And, you know, over time, my mother wallpapered her bathroom with Scripture that the kids had sent. And over time, she was like, wow, they're, they're, they're doing something. <laughs> I don't know what she thought we were going to do. but And over time, honoring them, they would come to town, right? So one of the things my mother wanted... And my kids going to school was well, she wanted to go to the plays. She wanted to go to the program. She wanted to go to the presentation. So she communicated that. One time they came to our house the end of the year. So we did a program. I printed programs, right? All the kids did a presentation. They read a book or they put on a hat and said the Gettysburg Address or they showed off their notebooking journal or something. And my mother was thrilled. And it was all about honoring her, right? She didn't agree with what I was doing, but I could still honor her. Just this last January, we celebrated my dad's retirement, 50 years of ministry. And so we have spent now the last, this is, wow, about to be June. We have spent the last several months packing them out of their house in Texas and moving them across the country to South Carolina and into a new home. And my that base, my basement's now going to be part-time for them. Because you know they're 70. I have an opportunity now to do a really hard thing and honor them as they're getting older and process through this with them. And it's been hard and my kids have been watching. But you know what? I'm showing my kids how to do this. I'm showing my kids how to honor them and how to include them. And I won't stand up here and tell you it's been easy, but I will tell you that it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. I want to encourage you to find ways to love your your parents, your in-laws, your great-grandparents if you have them. Honor them and find ways to include them in your journey and love them, love on them. Finally, in Scripture, we are not suggested to practice hospitality. We are told, we are commanded arguably to practice hospitality. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to double dog dare you. Throw the doors open. It's not about having everything off the floor. It's not about being beautifully decorated. It's not about the china matching. It's, It's not. It's just not. It's about having people into your home. What I'm finding is this is happening less and less and less. When I grew up, we always went to somebody's house for Sunday lunch. Anybody else? I, we always went to somebody's house on Sunday lunch. And Sunday night after church, we'd go to somebody's house. I mean, we were always in each other's homes. I mean, showers, wedding showers, baby showers were never at the building. They were always in somebody's house. It doesn't happen anymore. It, it's just not happening. And let me tell you, I don't know what it is. But there is something profoundly magical about being in someone's house. There is something that happens. There's some wall that comes down. There's something, and God knew this because the early church, where did they meet? In their homes, right? If you've not done the Truth Project with Dell Tackett, I would encourage you to do that. It's an outstanding study about what it is, what truth is, and it really equips you in ways that you may not be aware of. One of the foundational things they said about that study is do it at your house. And they were unwilling to move on that point. Unwilling to move on that point. Get this, the pastor where we are at the church, the time that we did it, would refuse to let us do it in our house. Refuse. And so we did it at the building. And let me just tell you, it was not what it could have been. It was not. We have since done it in our home, and I'm here to tell you, it was not the people. It was the place. Have people in your home. My daughter was in a choir one time um, because this is a well-known thing at our house. My kids know the doors are open. It's not my house. It's God's house. And so my kids know anybody's welcome anytime. I mean, good grief, if I'm cooking for nine. Really? So... They know that. So she was in choir one day. She probably got 50 people in this choir. And the choir director said, So I'd like to have a fall kickoff party. Uh, think about it. And Molly's hand goes straight up. She goes, You can have it at my house. And the choir director goes, Oh, you know, why that's, that's very kind of you. But you probably need to go home and talk to your mom. I mean, really? This, all these people. No, no, it's really okay. We do it all the time. Mom loves to have people at the house. It's really okay. Molly, that's great. Do, do you talk to your mom? We'll talk next week. I ran into the choir director in the hall. She came up to me and she goes, I just want to give you a heads up. Talking about a fall par- party today and Molly raised her hand and volunteered your house. No, you don't have to do this. I said, No, that's fine. We'd love to have it. When is it? I just put it on my calendar. She goes, no, seriously, I'm talking about 50 teenagers in your house. I'm like, yeah, it sounds great. When can we plan it? She goes, seriously, nobody does that. Why does nobody do that? Are our rugs and our upholstery that precious that we can't have people in their house? Really? Come on. What are we afraid of? We need to be loving our neighbors. We need to be having them in. You know, the best way to give a gospel message is to have people into your house. You want people to wonder about who this Jesus is? It's that sweet aroma. It's that welcoming. It's that come on in. Come on in. Come on in. I want to encourage you, throw open the doors of your house and practice hospitality. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, our scripture for this comes from that dreaded Proverbs 31 woman, right? And I say dreaded because she's just got it all together, right? But Don't you love this verse? She can laugh. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. I would suggest to you that's one of the verses in the whole Proverbs 31 passage that we just kind of... Right? Over. There's a lot of power here. She's clothed with strength and dignity. What does that mean? She knows who she is. She's comfortable in her own skin. She knows she's not perfect. She knows she doesn't have it all together. Look, we all dress up and clean up really well. Let me tell you this story. I was in Dallas to do a conference... And my habit is to get up and study on the treadmill. It's two for one. And I can do my notes. And I'm a very driven person. And I kind of just have to get it out. So I'm on the treadmill going over my notes. And then I'm going straight to breakfast. So I go down in all of my sweaty, messy, yucky glory for breakfast, right? And I'm hoping that, you know, at this hour, nobody's there. Well, somebody was there. And so I sat across from this one couple. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I ate my breakfast and I went to my room and I got all dressed and I came down to the conference and lo and behold, I mean, really, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, just hold on. Lo and behold, who is the booth right across from our booth? And I'm just like, really? So she comes over to me, right? She comes over to me and she goes, can I I just tell you something? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, um. I just want to tell you, you clean up really good. (laughs) Okay, wow, you just said that to me. Okay, so the point is we can all put on a good game. But are we comfortable enough in our own skin to know we don't have it all together? Can we do that? Can we be vulnerable enough with ourselves and with each other to know that we're all a work in progress? Because... If we can do that, we can start laughing and letting some stuff go that, listen to me, doesn't matter. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't matter.
0: We're going to take a quick break and then return to this presentation by Rachel. We'll be right back. We want to thank our sponsor, Apologia Educational Ministries. Their mission is to help homeschooling families learn, live, and defend the Christian faith. Apologia is the number one publisher of creation based curricula for homeschooling families with hundreds of number one awards. That's impressive. But more importantly, that's why Apologia is trusted by homeschooling families all across the USA and the world. Go to apologia.com, a great place to explore creation. Welcome back. You are listening to a presentation by Rachel Carmen entitled Loving, Learning, and Laughing. Let's continue.
1: I'm very grateful to come from a home where laughter was common. My dad gave me two things that I will be eternally grateful for and which I am so grateful to have in my home now with their apartment in the basement. My dad's laughter is now echoing through my home. My dad gave me a love and a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's given me the gift of laughter. And we have the opportunity to give that to our children. Pop quiz. You ready? Are you more easily angered or amused? Do your kids know your sneer or your smile? Do you know how to magnify or minimize stress? Do you recognize this situation? Why? Because it bonds your family together. Which one's more characteristic? So I have three graduates now. Because of the work of God, every single one of them is A testimony to God's work. Not my perfection and not that I figured anything out. Even now, 20 years in, I have not figured this out. I wanted to, thought I could, I can't. This is all about God doing something glorious. But now with three graduates coming home, wow. See, your home, whatever it is, is your kid's normal. And they think that other homes are that way. They do. It's just the way we're all wired. My kids are coming home and going, I had no idea. I had no idea that what we call normal and what we call family, other people don't get. My daughter was commissioned a few weeks ago now from the Impact 360 program in Pine Mountain, Georgia. It's a great gap year program. Be happy to discuss with you. And she said that her heart was just broken because here was their commissioning. It's like their graduation. It's just a year program. And this one friend of hers, parents divorced. But they so could not stand each other that neither one of them came. And this friend of hers was just in tears, just brokenhearted because everywhere she looked around the room with these families celebrating their daughter or celebrating her son, she had no one. What are we giving to our kids? Aren't we giving them with love? But we've got to interject laughter. It's the great safety valve. It's the stress reliever. We've got to teach them the power of laughing at themselves. And you know what? They learn to laugh at themselves when we laugh at ourselves. When we stop taking ourselves so seriously and dare to laugh. Dare to smile. I love Todd Wilson. He's funny. So here's this mom, and he says, Whoa, hold on, honey. Let me get the camera. You're smiling. Several years ago, I was pregnant with somebody. I don't know who it was. And I was in a bit of a snit. Ever been in a snit? We're all women. We've been in snits, right? Husbands, don't elbow the woman next to you. I was in a snit. I was just done being pregnant. I hadn't seen my toes in months, and I was just ready to be done, and I had not smiled, and I had managed to make everyone within a really fair distance of me pretty miserable because I was not happy. My mother was taking pity not only on me but also on my family, and she sent me a book that was supposed to liven me up and, you know, add a little levity into the mix, and it was by Irma Bombeck. Now, that's a generational humor thing. My mother loved Irma Bombeck. I remember her laughing hysterically when I was a child at Irma Bombeck. I frankly never really got Irma, but you know, what is? So she sends me this book. My husband, I'm sitting up on the bed. My husband comes and basically gives it to me and backs out of the room, right? It was a bad time. So I sit there and I just humor everybody, right? Okay, fine. I'll look at the book. I've never thought this woman was funny. Ugh. So I open the book and I begin looking. And I got tickled. And I started laughing. I was laughing so hard that I was crying. And my oldest son came down the hall and took one look at me and turned around and yelled, Come quick, Mom's laughing! You know, some of us, that's true. we got to catch that moment quick. It need not be something that is so rare that we need to capture it on film. Our laughter needs to characterize us. Your kids are going to launch either into a career or to a college or into a marriage, and they're going to have moments of silence. And I'm here to tell you, you want them to remember you having smiled and laughed. You want that. When Charles came home from college the first time, the way his rooming was set up, he, was, he had a sweet mate, but they both had their own space. So he was by himself in a room bathroom and then this guy over here is by himself and he came home and he said silence echoes i miss the laughter i miss the singing i miss the silliness but you know what he had something to miss we need to give them something to miss so this is my zany family you'll see my dad here in the center of the picture he is an absolute crack-up pastor for 50 years. The only way you survive that for 50 years is by laughing. That's my mother next to him. She's a combination of Carol Burnett and uh, Lucille Ball. My oldest son in the background, that's Davis Carmen, the president of Apologia, ladies and gentlemen, as posing as Superman. Anderson's over there. This is Christmas for us. This is what we invited Charles's now wife into this zany context. And I want to invite you to have moments like this that you can laugh about and enjoy together as a family. By the way, you can buy those mustaches every Christmas at Old Navy for a dollar, and they're worth every penny. So, why? Why laugh? Because your God has a sense of humor. How do I know this? The platypus, example number one. God knew that men were going to try to organize all the animals and make sense out of it. He knew that. And I'm confident that he was up there going, what would you do with this one? Right? It's got a duck bill. It's got a poison spike on the back of its heel. It lays eggs and nurses its own. It doesn't fit anywhere. This is God saying, I am a lone God. That's what this is. This is him having a heyday. This is his sense of humor. It's not up here, but another sense of humor that he had. Do you know that the International Conference on Global Warning was snowed out? Come on. That's funny. That's funny. Your God has a sense of humor. The ten plagues, every one of them was aimed at making fun of an Egyptian God. Every one of them. Every one of them. God's up there going, you want to worship the Nile? Worship this Nile, full of death, it's blood. Worship. Go ahead. You want to ner- worship the frog? Hey, how about millions and gazillions of frogs? You're God. I believe that when Jesus was here, especially when hanging out with the disciples, he had lots of moments to go. He had to laugh. He had to laugh. I think he was broken hearted on many occasions too. I get that. But I don't think he was stern and austere. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. We have an opportunity to laugh. So here, just a couple of questions. When, everyday opportunities. When will you spill milk or sticky orange juice on your kitchen floor? When you've washed it, thank you, we have a winner. So I'm advocating for no longer mopping the kitchen floor. You mop it, and you will spill. And you know what? You never spill two drops. It's never. It's the jug. It's the whole thing. And, and, and it's like slow motion, right? You see it tipping. And it's like you're going across, no. And it's, it's just done, right? So sometimes we travel to conferences as an entire family, and on one such occasion, we were trying to do the necessary job of cleaning out the refrigerator before we go, right? My husband loves green olives, and they're characteristically sold in glass jars, and he likes to keep a, I call it a vat of olives in our refrigerator. And we were headed out to a conference, and there were no small children around. You know, every now and then, it's just nice to have a small child in the mix to go, well, you... It wasn't anybody's fault, but ours. He turned around to put his vat of olives in a refrigerator, and I was standing there at the same moment, and he lunged to try to recover the vat of olives, and all he managed to do was dump the entire vat into the back of my refrigerator. Did you know there's space actually behind the drawers of your refrigerator? Mine is currently occupied with lots of olives, which I could not retrieve before I left. So I can get mad and ticked off, or we can just have a really good laugh about that. You know, it's not worth getting angry about. It's just not. Uh, another thing I want to ask you about. At our house, you may have something at this, like this at your house. I cannot find a pair of scissors. It's not that I haven't bought them. It's not even that I don't have a drawer marked, scissors. I have bought my children scissors, and I've, with a Sharpie, written their names on their scissors. I cannot find a pair of scissors. Someday, all of the children are going to be gone, and I'm going to have a garage sale. And I'm going to have, I don't know how many hundreds of pairs of scissors. But right now, I can't find them. So my choice is to be angry and frustrated, and my kids to think, She's on a own She can't find a pair of scissors. Her. Anybody have a pair of scissors? Mom's... Or just go, daggum, we can't find a pair of scissors again. Really? Can anybody, anybody? I will give a prize to anybody who finds a pair of scissors. And just lean into it. It's a pair of scissors. God is giving us opportunities to get over ourselves. Are we going to do it? Or are we going to insist on it being our way? Let me tell you the number one lesson that I have learned through homeschooling about me is I am called to be flexible. And I wasn't flexible. The whole, uh, one of my favorite movies, um, The Incredibles. Anybody else? Love The Incredibles. Let me tell you why I love The Incredibles. This is a Pixar intact family. Okay? This is an intact family with a husband who is working. This is a marriage that survives a huge trial. This is a family that functions best when they are all working within their specific giftings. It's really pretty incredible. And how did they paint the mom? Elastigirl. Moms, we're called to be flexible. We need to be flexible. Our husbands need us to be flexible. Our kids need us to be flexible. And yet we can dig in and insist on being brittle. I challenge you, let's be flexible. And flexibility is best worn with a lot of laughter. So in our family, my second son is an artist. He actually has a certificate from animation mentor as an animator. And dreams of working for Pixar or Blue Sky or another animation studio. And so we do a lot of movie quotes at our house. We have a lot of things that we just throw around and i want to encourage you you need to have family humor you need to have things that they're jokes that just your family gets ours happens to be a lot of animated movies because we watch a lot of animated movies frame by frame (laughs) we watch these movies adopt movie lines throw them around have your own family jokes i remember when tessa was first introduced into our family before she married charles and we were throwing things around and she's like and he's having to explain beautiful because we had our own family jokes at our house if you go off on a tangent we look at you like in the movie up and we go squirrel (laughs) we talk about frying pans who knew right we talk about, I can neither confirm nor deny the presence of a human child here tonight. Using mainly spoons. And we joke about these things. You need to let yourself laugh. On Friday night at our house is pizza and movie night. And if we're not doing movie appreciation, which is one of my passions, I believe movies to be the, um, the platform of this generation... And I believe that we need to be able to teach our children how to watch a movie, how to dissect a movie, how to define and detect a worldview from a movie so that they can be equipped to engage with the culture that they are in. If we're not doing that, we're laughing really hard at one of these movies. I want to invite you to laugh together as a family. Finally, we get to learning. So we're going to lay a foundation of love. We're going to interject laughing. And then we're going to get to learning. Kids that are loved, who know they're loved, who get who God is, right, are then motivated to learn. If they're not, if they don't get who God is and that God has a plan, and if they don't have the stretch relief of laughing, you have greatly reduced the odds of them being able to learn. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Read, this is from Proverbs, who is also written by Solomon. Read Ecclesiastes. Here's a guy that pursued it all. Wealth, women, power, position. He tried it all. And at the end, what did he say? It's about God. He went through it all. And then he got the point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mom, Dad, if we don't place learning about the Lord first, we have missed it. We've missed it. So what are we going to learn about first? God and his love. I want to challenge you. Psalm 46.10, be still and know. Be still and know that he is God. It's an excellent book on the topic. A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. Do you know him? Do you know his love? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. Every word just resounds with meaning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. This is the love of God. This is the love. When your children know this love, this is the love that motivates them to push through Algebra 1. This is the love that motivates them to understand what's the point of commas. This is the love that pushes them through their academics Because you know what? It's not about them. It's about glorifying God. It's about the love that He's already poured out on them and reflecting that love back by being diligent in my studies. That's the love that motivates doing hard things. There's not anything harder that you could ask your children to do than the hard thing that God did by giving His only Son on the cross. It really makes algebra 1 and 2 look pretty walk-in-the-park. Don't you agree? We need to teach our kids about this incredible, amazing love that God has poured out on us. Continues to pour out on us. Can pour out on everyone. See, when you get who God is, it changes everything. It changes everything. Some of us are trying to skip to algebra. And we've missed God. And we're wondering why algebra is so hard. Because we skipped God. We got to stay and start with teaching our kids of the love of God. The love of God is greater far than any tongue or scribe can tell. The love of God. Next, you need to teach them about truth. I'm going to teach you six things about truth just right now, and I'm going to offer you uh, the what we believe series from apologia it's worldview study fundamentals of the faith listen this is not something they get accidentally this is something that you intentionally teach to your children so love is, uh, truth is six things and i have motions because it's easier for this blonde to remember okay so truth exists do you know that there are worldviews that say truth does not even exist there are tr- there are worldviews that say there is no truth Truth exists. Truth is knowable. Not only does truth exist, but this is a truth that you can know. Then you pull your hands off of your head. Truth is objective. In other words, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. There is objective truth that exists outside of feeling or emotion. It just is what it is. Okay? Truth is universal. That means all around the world, this is still true. Listen, people in Africa, Australia, Canada, South America, Europe, they all need Jesus. It's a universal truth. Okay? It is absolute. This is the absolute truth. There is one truth, and this is it. It's absolute. And finally, it is exclusive. In the New Testament, we are told, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No, no man comes to the Father except through me. One way. People say that that is, oh, how can you do that? There's only one way. That's good news. There is a way. We've got to take the opposite side of that. They're so restrictive. Look, the God of the universe told us how. That's good news. There is one way, and he told us what it is, and it is through the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. It's exclusive. I'll t- say it one more time in case you missed it. it. Exists, knowable, objective, universal, absolute, and exclusive. We've got to teach our kids about truth in a world that wants them to embrace relative truth. Relative truth works like this what's true for you may not be true for me. Listen to the play out of that. Let's both go to an intersection. And let's say that I'm operating under the truth that the red light means stop. And you've adopted a relative truth that to you, the red light does not necessarily mean stop. And we arrive at the intersection at the same time. How well does that work out for either one of us? It doesn't. There's an excellent book called Relativism, Feet Grounded Firmly in Mid-Air that I would offer to you to read about this. There's, I have a whole list of books on truth Um, If you want those later. But we must be intentionally, diligently teaching our children about truth. Next. We need to be teaching our children about God's world. Okay, so get this. The earth is perfectly placed in space. One degree closer to the sun and we fry. One degree further away and we freeze. The tilt is perfect perfect for the seasons, for the rotation. The gravitational pull of the moon is perfect. The atmosphere is perfect. Everything about the placement of God's Word is exact and precise, and not because two atoms one day coincidentally ran into each other and it exploded and voila, here we are today. No, but because there's an almighty sovereign of the universe who put it all together for his glory and for our good. We need to dare to be wowed again by the glory of the universe that God has created and tell the kids about it. Tell your kids about that. Look what God has done. And that God, the God that put every one of those stars in place, the God that tilted the world just right, the one who made the atmosphere just precisely right, he loves you. He has a plan for you. We need to dare to be wowed again by God's word and teach our kids about it. it. It blows my mind how we have allowed science to be hijacked by people who can't believe in God. The closer and closer and closer you look, there's just more and more and more evidence. I don't care how many zeros you add to the amount of time that it would have taken for this to evolve. It doesn't work. And at the end of the day, it's all about authority. We must dare to be wowed by God's word. Next, we need to learn about their role. So, one of my favorite movie trilogies is The Lord of the Rings. It's an epic story. It's a story that most of us love. Frodo. You've got Sam. You've got all the different characters. And guess what? They all need each other. They all need each other. And we go to the movies and we watch that movie. go, that's just amazing. You know what? Each of us have a role in an epic story. It's called God's story. His story. And we all have a role in that. And we need to be ever pursuing on our children's behalf when they're young and as they get older with them pursuing, what might God do? What might God do? And as we see their talents and their giftings come out, go, what might God do? How might God use that to glorify himself? How might God use the world with that and dream with them about their role and never let them for a moment think that they're an accident? Never think for a moment that it's just a coincidence. But look what God has done. When you frame their world in the light of his glory... No matter what comes down the pike, as they get older, they're able to say, God must have a plan. You're able to say, God must have a plan. Because, memo, things aren't going to go the way you thought they were or wanted them to. But you can stand confidently. You can stand courageously when you know that there's a king on the throne and that he has a plan. That nothing surprises him and he wastes nothing. So my son and his wife got married, and they wanted to stay in New York. Desperately wanted to stay in New York. Their community was in New York. They had gone to school in New York. They wanted to stay in New York. You know what? It wasn't God's will. They are now in Arizona. And I remember when Charles called, and he was just so brokenhearted. He goes, I just really wanted to stay with this community. And he goes, Mom, I'm holding on to the fact that God's got something for me in Arizona. Glory to God. God's got something for you wherever you are. Whatever circumstance. he's got something. He wastes nothing. Ever. So we must be learning about their role, encouraging that conversation constantly. Next. Here's what you thought you were coming for. We need to be learning about academics. After we've laid the foundation of love, after we've interjected lots of laughter, after we've learned all these things in order about God and his love and his world and their role, then we get to the academics. And I want to admonish you today, we need to be diligent in our academic studies and pursuits. We do not need to lay down on the field, as some have done, and just take a laissez-faire approach. We need to be diligent. But rigorous academics must never replace authentic relationships, ever. And I'm talking authentic relationships with God, authentic relationships with parents, between parents, authentic relationships, parent-child, siblings, those have got to come first. But we do need to be rigorous in our academic pursuits. Why? Because God is depending on us to engage, to have loved him with our whole mind so that we can go and be what he's planned for us to be, what our kids have planned, what he's planned for our kids to be. We engage with them because it glorifies Him. I want to offer to you, be diligent, plan, set aim high, study hard, do it in the right order. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today at the beginning of Friday of a conference, Father, and in some ways it looks large and overwhelming, and in other ways very exciting Father God, I know that you are a God that meets us exactly where we are, and you know where each one here in this room today is, and I thank you in advance for meeting them exactly in that place. We acknowledge you as the sovereign. We acknowledge you as the one who's in control. We acknowledge that you have a plan for each of us this weekend, and we pray, Father, that you would be glorified in all that we say and do, that you would give us eyes to see what you would have us to see, ears to hear your Holy Spirit as he speaks to us, Father, that we would not miss one providential opportunity or moment that you planned for us this weekend. Father, I pray that you would go with us through this day and that you would glorify yourself in your son's name. Amen.
0: Well, it's time to bring this presentation to a close. I hope you enjoyed this presentation by Rachel Carmen. Thank you for listening. We'll hope you'll join us again next time. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend. Send us a review. Or send us an email. The address is podcast at apologia.com. This is Let's Talk Homeschool. I'm your host, Davis, and the presenter today has been my lovely wife, Rachel Carmen. This podcast is sponsored by Apologia Educational Ministries. Go to apologia.com, a great place to explore creation. Have a great day, and until next time, we are walking by faith and enjoying the homeschooling adventure of a lifetime.